informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. Is a feast of St. Angelus of Jerusalem, born in 1185, was a Carmelite and a son of a converted Jewish parents. He combated heresies like the Pateria and the Albigensians and the Bulgars and had a great devotion to St. Francis of Assisi. St. Angelus met St. Francis in Rome in 1219 and told him of his coming martyrdom. He was murdered by the Cathar Count Beringer in Lexadia. After publicly censoring him for living incestuously with his sister, gross. St. Angelus is best known for the famous encounter of three saints in a sacristy in Rome. St. Dominic, St. Francis, and St. Angelus met, and each one understood who the other was by divine inspiration. The three knelt and conversed on their knees, and the beauty of their encounter lies in the fact that each one venerated the other. St. Angelus's martyrdom was similar to that of Jesus Christ as he was killed by an enemy of the church. He died saying the same words that Jesus Christ did on the cross, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. St. Angelus of Jerusalem, pray for us. What a beautiful story of the meeting of St. Angelus and St. Francis and St. Dominic. What a beautiful, beautiful story, especially you think about the Carmelite order being uh, being moved over from Jerusalem to the west at that time because the Muslims drove them out of the east into the west. A very, very interesting thing. But uh, Tito, may the fourth be with you. Yes, may the fourth be with you. I'm enjoying celebrating the, the vigil of Cinco de Mayo myself. Are you prepared for tomorrow? Well, everybody knows that it's uh, the the correct response to may the fourth be with you is and with thy spirit. Ah, um, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> out of the loop. <laughs> but uh, the is uh, for Cinco de Mayo. You know, I think I think tomorrow I may bring my sombrero and my uh, poncho and bring that on to uh, to the uh, to the studio. Get close and up. Do the, do the show just like that because. <laughs> Everybody knows Cinco de Mayo is a huge Mexican holiday, right, Tito? Oh, it's it's enormous. It's it's so big that uh, my cousin loves to post pictures every Cinco de Mayo on Facebook showing how busy they are celebrating by po- posting uh, his coworkers in their cubicles. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, because uh, all the people in Mexico uh, celebrate Cinco de Mayo by uh, going to work and treating it like a normal day. Correct. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like so, we're, yeah. we're, we. It's like why would we go out getting plastered on D Day? <laughs> so there you go. There you go. So yeah, we uh, the. It's kind of funny. We'll talk more about Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. But yeah, Cinco de Mayo not actually a great holiday, but any excuse to uh, to have a taco, right? Yes, Taco Friday. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, we get Taco Tuesday and Taco Friday this year because of Cinco de Mayo. So there you go. Ooh, there you go. Fajita Friday. There you go. Fajita. I like that. Yeah. I, I'm gonna. I'm texting my mother right now and asking her, "Hey, mom, would you wanna you wanna make fajitas? Or maybe I'll text my grandma. I bet she would do it. I better go trademark yeah. that. Mm, that's a good idea. Uh, but before we jump into the show, I wanted to give a shout out to somebody. 
When I was in California, I was in California, I think this was Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was Saturday. I was being taken around by a friend of mine all over the city. And my friend was like, oh, we got to stop by this one place that you have to see. It's really, really cool. And they took me to the uh, the tomb of uh, Marilyn Monroe. And I was like, Marilyn Monroe? That's kind of random. Wow. I'm yeah. not, uh, not the biggest Marilyn Monroe fan, as one might expect, to be honest. I don't really know much about her. But the I was like, okay, well, we're in this funeral, we're in this cemetery. Let's uh, walk around, pray for the souls. And so we were praying for the souls in the cemetery. And they were taking me around, showing me all the different tombs and different famous people who were buried there. And all of a sudden, this uh, lady comes up to me. She was riding her bike uh, around the cemetery, praying the rosary. And she stops me and goes, excuse me, sir, are you, are you that man from America Needs Fatima? And, she, she, I, and I was like, yes, I am. I am. And she was like, oh, my goodness, what a grace, what a grace. She was very excited. And she said, I didn't <laughs> recognize you until I saw your rosary. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I want to give a shout out to Marsha. I'm very grateful for you to coming up. And we took a picture together. She was very excited. She said that her her family, uh, her and her husband, watch the American Eats Fatima videos uh, every single week. And she also said her sons are both autistic and they are both receiving their PhDs. And she's super excited about it. She said, yeah, my one son, he's a uh, astrophysicist, uh, a theoretical astrophysicist getting his Ph.D. The other one is getting his Ph.D. in mathematics. And it was very cool to meet her. She said her her mother was buried there. It was Thanks really, to it was Wyatt honestly, Wolfie, you're the executive a director huge of blessing. Talking about the of um, sorry. That was very random. Yeah. The Anyway, the so that was... Uh, yeah, I completely lost my train of thought. Okay. The so anyway, the American Eats Fatima. Shout out to Marsha. Thank and you very much for coming out. PhD. And, uh, and thank you very much to Marsha for uh, coming out and um and saying hello. I really much appreciate that. So uh, thank you again. Uh, at fifteen past the hour, we're gonna be talking about the the godfather of AI uh warns of difficulty in stopping bad actors from exploiting AI. So that we talk about that at fifteen past the hour, at thirty past the hour. Uh, the ambassador Edward Habsburg comes on to join us, and in the next hour we're going to be talking about vocations with uh, Fulton Sheen, and of course we have our Fear and Trembling game show. Um, and so that prize will be out from Catholic Answers. Thank you to Catholic Answers for sponsoring the show, the Fear and Trembling game show. That is. So let's begin in prayer, as is our custom. We are going to be praying for whatever it is that you have going on in your life. We're going to be praying to Our Lady. We're going to pray the ancient prayer to Our Lady, the Subtuum Presidium. We'll pray it in Latin and then in English, and we will join. Uh, so join us. We're praying for our friends, family, benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Subtuum Presidium Confugimus Sancta Dei Genitrix, Nostras Deprecationes Ne Despicias in Necitatibus, Sed Apericulis Cuntis Libra No Semper Virgo Gloriosa et Benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you, Adrian. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. 
Today is Thursday, May 4th in the year of our Lord, 2023, and these are your headlines. Crux is reporting a Catholic health system in Oklahoma has threatened to sue the federal government for violating its First Amendment rights over a decision to deny re-accreditation to one of its hospitals if it doesn't follow an order to extinguish a long-lit sanctuary candle for safety purposes. Following a hospital inspection in February, a federal surveyor deemed that a living flame in the St. Francis Hospital South Chapel, part of the St. Francis Health System, violated code as it is an open flame burning unintended 24-7. The surveyor issued a citation demanding the candle be extinguished. LifeSite is reporting two Nigerian priests have been abducted in what is, according to local reports, the latest in the series of kidnappings and attacks carding, targeting Christian institutions, clerics, and the faithful in Nigeria. According to the African news outlet Shalom World, gunmen abducted two priests in the southern Nigerian Delta State. CatholicCulture.org is reporting at the conclusion of his May 3rd general audience, Pope Francis met with the Metropolitan Anthony of Volokolomax. Vatican News and the Moscow Patriarchate reported. The encounter took place moments after the Pope entrusted the tormented Ukrainian population to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And finally, LifeSide is reporting leftist outlet Vice reportedly plans to file for bankruptcy weeks after BuzzFeed closed down. Though it had been valued at $5.7 billion in 2017, Axios said Vice has so far been unsuccessful in finding a buyer. My comments, oh well, tough luck. Those were your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 13, verses 16 through 20. Believe me, no slave can be greater than his master, no apostle greater than he by whom he was sent. Now that you know this, blessed are you if you perform it. I am not thinking of all of you when I say this. I know who are the men I have chosen. Well, it remains for the passage in Scripture to be fulfilled. The man who shared my bread has lifted his heel to trip me up. I am telling you this now before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe it was written of me. Believe me when I tell you this, the man who welcomes one whom I sin welcomes me. The man who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The passage here, I love it when it says, Verily, verily, I say to thee, no slave is greater than his Lord, nor the messenger than he that sent him. This uh, foresees the, the idea that we may say, Why do I not get what I deserve? Or why do not I not have more? We recognize this and we look to our Lord and look what he had and how he was treated and the way he did things. And we say, can a servant, you and I, be greater than our master, the Lord? And then the answer, of course, is no. The answer is, of course, no. Now, he says here, I speak not of, of you all because I know that Judas uh, not, will not do these things which I have said. I know whom I have chosen. St. Augustine explains with the reference to the eternal predestination and election to glory by God. He says, I speak not of all, but of those of whom only I have chosen to glory, and Judas I have not chosen. This, however, seems rather harsh, both because the whole blame must be laid upon Judas and not upon Christ, and his election from which he excluded Judas. 
But in the next verse, Christ lays the blame on Judas. And then again, because Christ, when he speaks of the eternal election and predestination of God, is not want to attribute it to himself, but to the Father. For it is a primary function of providence, which is an attribute, what is attributed to the Father. Christ, therefore, is here speaking of his temporal election, by which he, as man, chose the twelve apostles, and Judas himself among the number. This is the view of Toledus and Maldonius. Now, here's an interesting thing to note. Whenever he says, when he says things are attributed to the Father, the word attributed is very important because anything that's said of any of the persons of the Trinity is rightly said of all of them because they are in unity. Uh, they act in unity, and but we attribute certain actions to particular persons. So that's a very important thing. However, when it comes to the person of Christ, some things that are that Jesus did are unique to Jesus in the sense that it's not said of all the persons of the Trinity. So, for instance, if one says the Son became incarnate, it is not true to say that the uh, the Father became incarnate or the Holy Ghost became incarnate. Now, when it talks about the the idea of election, of predestination, this is a very, very interesting topic and worthy of a longer conversation, really. And the topic really boils down to this. Our Lord desires that all men be saved, and he gives the certain grace necessary. But our Lord also knows who and how someone is going to respond. So he knew from the beginning how Judas would respond to the grace that he was given. He knew that he would betray Christ, even though he was given the great grace of being one of the apostles, being one of the ones who walked with Christ. This is a very important thing to note and something worthy of reflection. And it's important to note because many people will say things like, well, Judas had no choice. And they'll say, well, Judas had to have done this. He was predestined from all eternity. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that someone would betray him and that someone was Judas. Now, this is a false uh, position because Judas is ultimately still responsible for his crime, even though that it was predestined to have happened. Because God knew it to happen, it does not negate the fact that he was given sufficient grace to not do it, and yet he chose of his own free volition to choose to betray our Lord nonetheless. It's a very important thing to keep in mind. The last thing to note here is something that St. Francis Xavier said is, is said of him, that on his voyage to India, he used to make the beds of the sick people, cook their foods, give them their medicine, hearing the complaint made that such degrading occupations were not becoming to an apostolic legate was answered that he was the first, a disciple, an apostle of Christ. So us who are servants of Christ cannot be greater than our master, and our master was humble and washed people's feet. So let us be likewise. Hey, Donnie, what do we say when we make the sign of the cross? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Mama teach you that? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever replaced pronouns in the Bible such as who, whom, whosoever, ye, you, etc., and replaced those words with your name and therefore you personalize the Bible to yourself? Do you do that? Is that a safe way to read the Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Bible complexity. Mechanics study motors. Architects study design. Linguists study syntax. But for the most part, Christians don't study the how-tos of safe biblical interpretation called hermeneutics. Secondly, Aquinas. In the Summa, we see the caution. Aquinas says of the Bible, quote, the manner of its speech transcends every science because in one and the same sentence, while it describes a fact, it reveals a mystery and thirdly a tough comeback. I know it seems plausible to simply say the Bible is a love letter straight from God to humanity, but wait a minute. A sentence or a paragraph in a love letter has context. Yes, with great caution, we can personalize some context, but remember, when you're at the central figure in the Bible, God isn't, and that's just wrong. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there's a couple stories I thought were really interesting. I want to start with this one just because AI is super fascinating to me. The godfather of AI warns of difficulty in stopping bad actors from exploiting it. It is reported by LifeSite News by Andres Weilizer. Here it says, I don't know, I don't think they should scale this up more until they have understood whether they can control it, says Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, which is interesting because also Elon Musk, who was one of the original creators of ChatGPT and one of the major funders, was uh, also came out saying, hey, we got to slow this thing down. Now, the article goes on. The godfather of artificial intelligence warned about the potential dangers of the technology after he retired from his position at Google. He was a pioneer in the AI field, and it is hard to see how you can pre- prevent the bad actor from using it, uh, AI, that is, for bad things, says Dr. Jeffrey Hinton in a New York Times interview. He says this is just a kind of worst-case scenario, kind of nightmare scenario. You can imagine, for example, some bad actors like Russian President Vladimir Putin decided to give robots the ability to create their own sub-goals, like, I need to get more power. According to the New York Times, Hinton's immediate concern is that AI-generated videos, images, and texts will make it so that average people will not be able to know what is true anymore. This is honestly the thing that I think is the biggest concern, is not knowing what is true anymore. Because this is they, the, the deep fakes that they're making is so mind-bogglingly good that it's very, very hard to tell the difference. In fact, I was watching a video that my a friend of mine made. He made a deep fake uh, with a just a consumer level. It was free, a free software, and he deep faked my uh, my friend Father Martin uh, onto a old Western clip where he's like the the cowboy white riding in a town. And he sent the video, and he was like, hey, doesn't this guy look like Father Martin? And I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, he does look like Father Martin. He was like, ah, I got you. It's actually a deep fake. It was actually a different character, and I just put Father Martin's face on it. And I was just absolutely flabbergasted wow. on how good it looked. And that was with a free software. Imagine what it's going to be when they use real software, like the paid-for software, and imagine what the government has and these other t- companies that are not giving to us. Now, imagine with the AIs also has the AI voices, where if you have spoken anything publicly where they recorded your voice, they can deep fake your voice. In fact, 
it's gotten to the point where musicians are starting to sue because people are making musicians. They record, they have just have libraries full of their voices and they're putting it into an algorithm and the algorithm is producing songs sung by these actors, by these, not actors, these singers. That's very concerning. It sounds just like them and it's only going to get better. We're right now we're at the worst possible quality and it's only going to get better. And the, we saw it at really, really bad quality just six months ago. And now it's amazing. And imagine what's it going to be in six months from now. It's very, very concerning, especially when it comes to the media reporting. Because like, we see constantly the media lying about, oh, so-and-so said something racist. Oh, so-and-so is a sexist. Oh, so-and-so. I honestly... It's going to be weaponized. It, it is going to be weaponized, 100%. I honestly keep my my biases whenever I see these things. I try to just assume everything I see online is fake. There's a there's a famous quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln. It said, uh, 99% of everything on the Internet is fake. Um, I saw that on the Internet. So I think that's how you know it's true. Yep. Very, very interesting. Uh, it's actually it's, it's funny because people see those things and they don't realize that things like that are jokes. And they're like, oh, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln was alive during the time of the Internet. Of course he wasn't. It's a, it's a joke about not trusting things on the Internet. But this is what we're seeing. And it's going to get worse and worse as time goes on. So it's very concerning to me. Now, AI obviously has a ton of useful applications. However, right now, we are at a tipping point where AI is going to skyrocket. And the problem is there's no way for us to regulate it because if we regulate it in the United States, they're not going to regulate it in Russia. They're not going to regulate it in Spain. I mean, not Spain, China. And if Russia and China are advancing in it and we're stagnant with it, well, what is that going to mean for us? These are very, very concerning. And the other thing that is mentioned by this former Google executive is that having subtasks, what does that mean? That means you can program an AI to get AI to do things for it. So now it's almost like an independent actor. That's very concerning. And they've, they've, they call it auto GPT. And what it does, if, for instance, an example that it's given, and this is a very banal example and something that it's like, okay, well, that would be kind of cool for it to do. However, it's very concerning seeing where it can go. Let me give you the example. An example was ordering a pizza. You tell AutoGPT, order me a pizza from Domino's. They'll ask you, okay, what do you want to eat? Okay, you order, you tell them, oh, okay, I want a medium uh, pepperoni pizza. And when do you want it? I want it in the next hour. They said, okay. So it starts ordering it. It creates a, a it activates another, another AI to voice. So it calls it calls Domino's, and then the AI programs another AI to speak to them and order the food. And then it accesses your bank to take the money out to send it to the person. And then it accesses uh, another AI to, uh, to order to get, the, to get the directions to the person. And all these things are happening all by telling just one AI to do it. So it has a series of tasks that are happening all from just telling the original AI to do a task for you. This is very, very concerning and something that we should keep our eyes on and not bare our heads in the sand and pretend that these things are not a real issue. Uh, Dr. Edward Fazer, he said, uh, similarly, image recognition software is sensitive to fine-grained details of colors, shapes, and other features recurring in large samples of photos of various objects, faces, animals, vehicles, and so on. 
Yet it never sees something as a face, for example, because it lacks the concept of a face. It merely registers the presence or absence of certain statistical common elements. AI might end up being dangerous for the same sort of reason that other technologies can be dangerous. For example, we might become too dependent on it, or it might become too complex to control, or that it might be glitches that lead to horrible accidents and so forth. However, it will not become dangerous by virtue of becoming literally more intelligent than us because it is not literally intelligent at all. So I think this is a very interesting conversation to have, something that we should look more upon and something that I'm going to start keeping track of more and more and try to have uh, more conversations about this. Do you know the, the Google box, the Google, Google voice, that little pod that you can have in your room and, and you can talk to it and, and give you uh, like, a, it's like a Google search engine, but voice, mm-hmm. the Amazon has one, Microsoft and right. Apple. That is frightening. If you got that in your, because we had one for two days and my wife and I threw it away because we realized that Google is, they record everything and store everything. And with, uh, with Act Auto GT coming out, when they combine the two, that is going to be extremely frightening because somebody can hack and take and cash out all your money from, from your bank accounts and abuse uh, other things such as your social security number and really go to town on that. Yeah, well, the uh, real concern, I think, is going to be these, uh, these scammers. Yeah. Scammers are going to be yep. really good. They're going to pretend to be, let's uh, say, like, think about it. You're, oh, you're, your daughter's out on, uh, at work. And all of a sudden, you get a call from an unknown number, and you hear your daughter's voice saying, "Hello, mom, I'm kidnapped. Help, help!" And they're gonna, you're gonna be like, "Oh no, no!" And then you're gonna hear someone else's voice come on and say, uh, "Send me X amount of money, or your daughter's gonna die." And you obviously, you're like, "Oh, I recognize that voice. That's no doubt. That's my daughter." You send the money over, and you just got scammed because your daughter was simply just at work. That. It's going to happen. It's going to start happening. Yep. What I recommend to people is with your family privately, I would honestly just come up with a with a uh, safe word, basically, that says, like, this is me. That's something that no one else knows. Get together and say, hey, okay, we're going to – if uh, we're ever in, in a situation and you need to confirm that it's actually you, uh, well, this is uh, – would ask me a question, and this is, should be the correct answer to the question. That's what I would do. Uh, that's what I'm going to recommend to my family that we do. Especially but, grandparents. Um, grandparents. The elderly oh, yeah. people, they're the ones that they get, get scammed the easiest. easily. All the time. All the time. So that story is very concerning, something that we should definitely keep our eyes on. But I want to transition over to this story, some a little bit of good news. Yeah. And this is very, very interesting. And I think ah, this is uh, really cool. So yesterday, May 3rd, the largest church in Kansas was just dedicated and consecrated the Immaculata in St. Mary's in Kansas. One of the largest church in Kansas and one of the largest churches in America. Um, not top 10, though. It's like top, probably like top 100. So not that high up in the list. The, the Church of the, of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. is more than twice the size, so... Yeah. It's it's large, but it's not the biggest, so just saying. But this church is absolutely stunning. I cannot recommend highly enough to look it up and look at it. I was watching the consecration yesterday because it was done by the Society of St. Pius X. It's the largest society church in the world, though. And if you watch the consecration, it's so cool. They put incense on the altar, like just 
like, not like in the thurible, just incense on the altar, just things of incense on the altar, and then they light it on fire. Whoa. And it's a really cool thing to see the altar is just like lit up on fire. And I that's need to how look they, at that. That's how they used to consecrate it. I've never seen a traditional consecration of an altar, and I was just blown away by how cool that was. So, that's so it much says better than here, pouring oil on it. Oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure they. Do. I think they do that as well. Okay. Um, it's a. It's just more. I think everything else is the same, but it's just more. Let's see. So this church seats 1,500 people, and the it was very interesting. And the sermon that Bishop Fillet, the one of the bishops uh, that is a member of the Society of St. Pius X, said that um, in one of the he's, he was talking about his his discussions with the Ecclesia Dei communities. He said uh, all these buildings, which the 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 let me go back for a second. It says Monsignor Guido Pozo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, or Pozo, probably, probably that. He says form, he's the former secretary of the Pontifical Commission for Ecclesia Day. Once told him that Pope Francis had asked Monsignor, "Where do the SSPX have so much money?" And Bishop Fillet replied, "All these buildings which we purchase, which we build, they do not come from so much money. They come from the faithful, from the Catholics." Who have the faith, and I think that's beautiful to see like these these big ginormous churches yeah. not being made from tons of money, but from the faithful donating just a little bit of money here and there, five and ten bucks. And in his sermon, he said the first mission of the Blessed Virgin Mary is to smash the head of the devil. When you see the situation of the world, when you see even the situation of the church today, a nightmare. When you see how much the world has penetrated infiltrated holy mother the church of course we seek for protection more than that we seek for victory and where will we find this in the immaculate conception in the blessed virgin mary and her son our lord so freely today let us beg her for this protection as Bishop Fillet at the consecration, uh, the sermon at the consecration of uh, the Immaculata in St. Mary's of Kansas. Go check out that uh, consecration. I've never seen anything like it. It was very impressive. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is. And we are known as his children. We are. And the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters. They are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran whose soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right. Their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network 
Radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Thursday, May 4th, and these are your headlines for this morning. The Daily Wire is reporting liberal Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor declined to recuse herself from multiple copyright infringement cases involving book publisher Penguin Random House despite having been paid millions by the firm for her books, making it by far her largest source of income, records show. In 2013, Sotomayor voided voted in a decision for whether the court should hear a case against the publisher called Aaron Greenspan versus Random House, despite then-fellow Justice Stephen Breyer recusing after also receiving money from the publisher. Catholic News Agency is reporting the coronation of King Charles III on Saturday, May 6th, will be a historic moment for both the Catholic Church and the British monarchy, as well as the whole of the UK. For the first time since the Reformation, a Catholic prelate will be formally participating in the coronation ceremony along with other Christian leaders across the country who have been invited to formally bestow a blessing on the new king. Zenit is reporting Fra John Dunlop has been elected prince and 81st Grandmaster of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, lieutenant of the Grandmaster at the moment of his election. 66-year-old Fra John Dunlop, a Canadian, is a first professed knight from the Americas to be elected as the head of the Order of Malta. And finally, Breitbart News is reporting ratings for Fox News have been dropping considerably in the wake of the popular anchor Tucker Carlson departing from the network. During its 8 p.m. hour, the network has dropped from a 3 million viewer average to 1.65 million viewer average since the departure of Tucker Carlson. The hour was previously filled by Fox & Friends co-host Brian Kilmeade which will then be filled by Fox News personality Lawrence Jones per the Washington Post. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Uh, Joining us right now via phone is the Archduke Edward Habsburg. He's the Hungarian ambassador to the Holy See and a member of the House of Habsburg-Lorraine. He is the great, great, great grandson of Emperor Franz Joseph I and is known by the traditional title of Archduke Edward of Austria. He is also a family man and had six children with his wife, Baroness Maria Theresa. And he joined us to talk about the seven principles at the root of Habsburg family life, their thought, action, politics, and their family life. Uh, good morning to you, Archduke Edward Habsburg. Good morning, and thank you for having me on your show. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a great honor, in fact. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, let's start here. The Habsburgs. Many Americans will have absolutely no idea who the Habsburgs are. We kind of have a really bad habit of not knowing anything outside of the United States. And in fact, I had my own experience in uh, Pennsylvania. I was uh, visiting with my friends with the TFP, and his Imperial Royal Highness, Prince Bertrand of Brazil, was there. And I was talking to his people around, and we were just like, I had no idea Brazil even had a prince. And people were just having discussions about royalty, and we realized we Americans don't know anything about the royal families of uh, Europe and in, even of South America. So let's start there. The Habsburgs. Who are the Habsburgs, and why are they significant? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a, a short crash course. The espresso version. Um, the Habsburgs ruled over large parts of Europe and for a certain 
time over large parts of the world, even touching the United States, um, from about uh, 1300 to the First World War, to the eve of the First World War. They are um, a, a family of rulers that was mostly based around Austria. The capital was usually Vienna. But as I told you, they ruled over large parts of Europe. And they were always Catholic, very strongly Catholic. And I think their most, most characteristic trait is their marriage politics. They had lots of children, and they rather did alliances by marriage than by war or by conquest. So that's, in short, a very nice family. And we are still around. There is about uh, 400 of us um, everywhere in the world, a few in the States, too. And we have a, we have a WhatsApp group nowadays. Uh, we don't rule anymore, of course, um, but we our duty to represent the values that our family has always stood for, and that's why I wrote this book. Amen. You know, and most people will, will recognize at least um, one uh, Habsburg, which is uh, the, 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 I guess, was he, is he blessed now? Is he uh, blessed Carl of Austria? I believe he's blessed now. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, wonderful. Yes. Oh, he's very blessed. And, and, you know, it's fun because most people in the States will know Blessed Carl, who was the last Habsburg emperor, only ruled for one and a half years during the end of the First World War, lost the empire, lost the war, went into exile, and died miserably in exile very shortly after. This is not the kind of person that you would remember from a history book. But he is a humble giant of faith. And for most of our family members, he is probably the greatest Habsburg we had um, because he was a fantastic family father, because he lived a, a deep devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, to Eucharistic adoration. He had a rosary in his pocket. And uh, he, he really lived for Christ. And, and you, you could tell in, through all his gestures. So, you see, it's not about success in the world. In the eyes of the world, this is the ultimate loser. But in the eyes of also many Americans, as I found out last year when I, I gave a talk in Dallas, and you, you had 700 people in that room, and they loved Blessed Emperor Karl. Um, so you don't always have to be successful in the world to, to do the things right as a Catholic. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, usually the opposite uh, is the case. But one thing that is interesting, oh, one little, little quick comment, my, my little sister, actually, she's a professional artist, and she uh, did a beautiful drawing of that image of, of Blessed Carl. And I just uh, absolutely, I, so we've recently became, had devotion to Blessed Carl, but very interesting. Let's start here. You have your seven rules for turbulent times. This is more geared towards, uh, it seems, just anybody, not just if someone wants to be a king of a country, but in fact, just everyday uh, man and woman. But I loved how you started with rule number one, I, that getting married and having lots of kids. I was just talking about this yesterday, in fact, how we should have our investments in our children rather than in, our, in this world, in the riches of this world. Uh, let's start there. Why is that a, a trait or a rule for a Habsburg and why we should follow? Yes, you absolutely saw that correctly. The idea of the book is not um, to speak to princes. So you don't have to be a prince to follow the seven rules for turbulent times that I propose. But there are rules that everybody can live that we should, um, we, we should want to find these things more in our society today because many of them have gone out of fashion 
and I don't think it's a good idea. And also we should ask them from our politicians. That's one of the points of my book. So really, rules, you will read the book, you learn a little bit about how the Habsburgs dealt with these topics, but in the end you should always ask yourself, is this something for me? And of course, the first and foremost thing is the thing that I've experienced myself. I have been blessed with a very happy marriage and with six wonderful children, um, thanks to my very generous and courageous wife. And, um, and I've learned that I think family and having lots of children is not only the way to get you and your spouse happy and the children and the children, but also the antidote to all the woke, crazy um, tendencies of our current society, of our technocracy. Um, you know, we live in a time where everything, society, advertising, technical uh, advancements, tries to pull everyone alone and without roots in front, of a, in front of a screen and to glue you to your phones and to the internet and to, to, to social media. Family is the absolute antidote to that. Family is what grounds you in reality. And you know, Hungary, my state, Hungary, I'm ambassador of Hungary, as you said, um, we encourage families to have more children by financial subsidies, but also by speaking publicly about um, how good it is to have family. And this is something a state should do because families with many children are the building bricks of a just, good, merciful society. In, in, a, in a family, in a numerous family, you learn every virtue that you need to build a good society. So therefore, I say, get married and have lots of children. Don't stop at one and a half. Don't even stop at three. Family begins after three. And, uh, and uh, I arrived here in the States. You know, I'm, I'm right now in the States, touring here, uh, reading from my book. I'm in Philadelphia right now. And I, I went to a dinner at the evening I arrived with jet lag. And in this room were sitting three families who had more than eight children. And I thought, God bless America. <laughs> God bless America. We, we, that doesn't exist in Europe. That doesn't exist in Europe. Yeah, that's, it's very interesting. I know whenever I was growing up, I went to a public school when I was younger. And we have a family of, of six, four, four kids and my parents. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness, you have a giant family. And then I started hanging out in more traditional Catholic circles, and everybody has 12, 9, 11 kids. And they were like, wow, <laughs> you only have four kids in your family? And it's just a, a huge night and day difference. Uh, but we're about to go to a break. When we come back, I want to talk about rules Three, five, and seven. I think they're very, very interesting. The rule number three uh, is about subsidiarity. Uh, rule number five is yes. know who you are and live accordingly. And rule number seven is yes. die well. We're going to head to a quick very break. Important. When we come back, I want to talk more about these three rules. I find it very interesting and it applies directly to the crisis that we fall into in America today. And I think it's apropos that we have these lessons. So check it out. The name of the book is The Habsburg Way. And it's, by the way, it's Habsburg with a B, not with a P. Seven Rules for Turbulent Times, published by Sophia Institute Press. Check it out. We'll be right back. Hello. 
This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Was the Catholic Church in existence as far back as the first three centuries? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, baseball. In September 1845, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club was formally established and called baseball. Rules were set included the diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and the three-strike rule. But 70 years before that, in 1775, that game was already being played on schoolyards well before it was ever called baseball. Secondly, the Apostolic Fathers, such as Tertullian, Clement, St. Ignatius, all wrote before 215 A.D. about the authority of the local bishop, and they used the name the Catholic Church, which already had the liturgy, the Eucharist, the readings, the relics, a hierarchy, and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. To fishermen, a dolphin was just a big fish until they were termed dolphins, but they were always dolphins. And baseball was baseball well before it was termed baseball. And you will love this. The early church was the Catholic Church well before Constantine the Great, the Nicene Creed, and your church history book. Hey, Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, ominous, joyful, and sorrowful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And it's so gonna be good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. I can speak. The it's a blessing to be here because, you know, it is the Easter season. A wonderful time to be around, to be celebrating. And uh, speaking of celebrating, we have the Archduke Edward Hausberg, the ambassador to uh, or to the Holy See from Hungary. I was gonna say the other way around, I caught myself. The we're talking about his new book, The Habsburg Way: Seven Rules for Turbulent Times, published by Sophia Institute Press. I highly recommend this book. It's so wonderful, and it really is apropos to the errors of our day. Uh, good morning to you, and thank you for joining us, uh, Mr. Habsburg. Thank you very much for having me on your wonderful show. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, we're talking about rule number uh, three, five, and seven. In the previous segment, we talked about who the Habsburgs were and. Rule number one, get married and have lots of kids. And now we're talking about the rules three, five, and seven. If every, when people want to know the other rules, they're going to have to get the book. But let's start here. Subsidiarity. This is something that is not a co- part of the common lexicon, something that is more recently uh, kind of developed in terms of our language. But I find this interesting because subsidiarity is the idea that the Things should be done at the lowest level possible. And this is completely contradictory to the American mindset of what a empire is like, what a kingdom is like, what a king is like. So how is this a Habsburg rule? And what am I, what are Americans not understanding? Well, I'm, I'm happy, Adrian, that you, that, you, that you pointed out that rule, because for me, this is the core of, of the book. And I think the most important rule for our times, what I found out writing this book was, how surprisingly close uh, the Habsburg ideas and the Holy Roman Empire ideas are to what America has built upon. Um, but America used to be, perhaps. Perhaps we've lost it a bit from sight. America has built from the grassroots level. It's built on the basis of the family, of the township, of the county, of the state. And the federal level originally was rather weak. And, um, and that's the way the Holy Roman Empire also later the Austro-Hungarian Empire of the Habsburgs worked. This was a loose 
union of many, many different kingdoms, dukedoms, princedoms under one emperor that was not very strong. He was imbued with sacred authority. He was anointed to be emperor, and he swore on relics. So there was there was a, a sacredness around him, but he had no real power, not enough money, no real army, no capital, no diplomats. And he just had his authority as highest judge, and he had to very respectfully do this. He couldn't, like, you know, the evil emperor in Star Wars, suppress all the planets in the galaxy evilly, cackling evilly and uh, the stormtroopers suppress everyone in terror, but it was a very complicated diplomatic juggling and balancing game. And it was built on subsidiarity. The idea is that you respect the lower levels. In a union of different uh, nations, you respect the language, the customs, the habits, the rights, um, the different personalities of each nation. Um, Emperor Charles V in the 16th century wrote to his son, Philip II, and said, if you don't respect the single nations within your empire and all what, what, what qualifies them, you will be in trouble. And the same goes for the United States. You are, some people seem to forget that you are United States. You still are. And um, in, in the crisis of the last three years, we have sometimes seen that states went a different path than the federal level went. And that's the power of the United States. You still have very much power on the local level. Some of it has been taken away in the last 150 years. But this is a great thing because the closer you are to the basis, the closer you are to the local level, the better you know how to do things. And the Habsburgs, whenever they tried to not act according to subsidiarity, to centralize their empire, to introduce, for instance, one language for all the countries in the empire, it always went wrong. And we live in a time where a certain bureaucratic structure is very interested in centralizing power, in drawing everything to higher and higher levels away from the local level. And that, of course, is dangerous because it, it threatens democracy. Democracy is built upon the idea that the people vote for politicians who will then do politics according to their, the idea of their majority. But if decisions are being taken very far away from the voters' level, then, then you get into trouble. That's a central point of my book. Yeah, it's that's wonderful, and so much more could be said there. Unfortunately, uh, people are going to have to check out the book to get the detailed information about that. But, but yes, there's so much there in America. You know, as much many problems as we have, that is one of the blessings of America is that we are intrinsically a country that is built on subsidiarity, which is an intrinsic good. We are just moving away from that. We need to restore that. So let's do that in our country. Let's move on to rule number uh, five here. I love this rule. I kind of want to talk about the, the rule on the um, on battles. That sounds way cooler. But this one I think is more important. It says be brave in battle or, or have a great general. That sounds awesome. But let's talk about rule number five. Know who you are and live accordingly. This, I think, is so apropos to our times because they have a crisis of identity in our country and in the world, uh, of most obviously from the transgender movement, but also in just people, their suicide rates have been skyrocketing year by year, people searching for who they are, um, the crazy teen years, people with midlife crises, all these different things. Mostly, I think, is because people don't know who they are. And I was very grateful for my father who used to tell us when we were kids and whenever we would do something that we weren't supposed to or embarrass the family by acting in certain ways, he would pull us aside and say, hey, 
Fonseca's don't act that way. And I was like, what do you mean Fonseca's don't? What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Um, but it's very, very interesting. So let's talk about that. Uh, who, what, is he, what do you mean by rule number five? Can I just say, Adrian, it's, it's a joy listening to you because you, the book seems to have been written for you. And that gives, <laughs> gives me a lot of hope that American readers will really like it. Yes, absolutely. Rule number five was originally when I wrote about the Habsburgs. I wanted to make a chapter about their traditions, about how they found, found who they were, how they established their traditions, for which traditions they stood. Habsburgs are a very traditional family. Um, sometimes they do crazy and creative things, but mostly they were very traditional. They knew very seriously who they were. Stratios had lived in the 17th century, knew exactly who she was, from which ancestors she came, what her life was about, and what her choices will be. And they were proud of it. So we live in a time where, as, as I said in the beginning, in our first um, discussion on family, where um, Internet, mobiles, and our technocracy are trying to make us all single people glued to a screen with the idea that you can change who you are and what you are every five minutes. You're not sure whether you're a man or you're not sure whether you're a woman. You can change it. Tomorrow you have something different. After tomorrow you have something different. This leads to incredible unhappiness, to depressions, to people forgetting who they are. But I, I want to encourage everybody to learn about your roots from your parents, from your family lore, from, of course, your faith, and also know if you're a man and what that means, if you're a woman, what that means. Learn these things. Look at them and say, I will be what I am. I want to live according to my roots. And that will give you happiness, security, and it will give other people stability. This is what this chapter is about. And uh, I encourage you to read it. There is also a few very funny moments inside. Um, but most of all, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Don't be slave to the machine. Do it yourself. Stand up. Be countercultural. And, and, and live your roots. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, people would might erroneously look at this and say, well, you know, my family, we had a lot of bad people in my family. So I kind of want to reject my family. But uh, that would go against the virtue of piety in the fourth commandment. Could you uh, briefly address the, the issue of, oh, you know, we have bad people in our ancestry? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, ask me. I just wrote a book about my family. Now, most, most of my ancestors were really, really wonderful, but a few really, really, really um, went far off the mark. And, well, you pray for them, and, uh, and you try to do better, because at the time when there were bad people in my family, there were always shining good people at the same time who carried on the values of the family. You have to read the book to see that. And, you know, when you grow up as a Habsburg, this mantle of being a member of the Habsburg family is offered to you. You can reject it. You can say, this has nothing to do with me. If you embrace it and you decide, what do these values of my ancestors mean for me today? What do I stand for? And you get even more stability in your life and happiness and really become what you are. So I encourage you, live. You yourself are a poor sinner. We are all weak. So it's okay. You had ancestors who were bad. So what? You can do this better. You can give the Fonseca name a shining light in our times and become an example to others. This is what this chapter is about. Amen. Amen. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about, especially in our time when there's so much turmoil and rejecting our family lines of condemning our ancestry. And this is so necessary today, just this chapter alone. I, I hope that uh, someone uh, allows you to uh, to take that chapter and just 
publish it as an article somewhere so everyone can read it. But let's go to rule number seven. This is very, very it's relevant in all times and all places. And recently, my, my great-grandmother just passed away, and so we witnessed this exact thing happening uh, to die well. We had my, uh, my, they, her, her old pastor, or actually her old deacon, actually, who's now a priest, came and gave last rites to my grandmother uh, before she died, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And so t- dying well, how is this a Habsburg uh, legacy? Well... <laughs> Uh, this is probably my favorite chapter in the book. This is the one that I could have put in the first place because all Habsburgs very consciously lived with their eyes um, towards their death. They knew that the moment of their death would decide about their eternal happiness. So they wanted to prepare for that. They prayed for a good death, and they made sure they were in a state of grace by regularly going to the sacraments, to confession, and to prepare, and then to be ready when death came. They also knew that their death was public. People learned about how they died, and they, they took their cues from them. They decided, if, if the emperor dies this well, I want, to be, I want to be like that too. And so the Habsburgs made sure that they died accompanied by the sacraments, that their people prayed for them, and that their funeral was a sermon. And I will give you an example for that. This is not something that all of us can do, but it gives you an example what the difference between the Habsburgs and, for instance, the English monarchy is. We all watched, many of us watched, um, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, like many of us will watch the coronation um, this weekend. And um, Queen Elizabeth was a very humble and good woman, I think. And when her coffin was lowered into the crypt at the end of the ceremony with a beautiful trumpet playing, um, they read out her titles. Um, and it was very beautiful and, and, and poignant, but I thought, whoa, the Habsburgs did that better. The Habsburgs did that better. Well, um, that's we're all out of time, unfortunately. So he says the Habsburgs did it better. How do they do it better? Well, you're going to have to get the book. The you're going to have to get the book. Go to <laughs> Sophia Institute Press, the Habsburg Way, a great cliffhanger from the illustrious Archduke Edward Habsburg. Thank you for being on with us. God love you. Have a great rest of your day. That's going to do it for the first hour. Stay with us. we have more Catholic Drive Time coming right up. Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no comment. 
commentary needed there. Secondly, you're going to walk. The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Omar. And I'm Natalia. And we attend Our Lady of Walsingham Parish. Thank you for listening to Catholic Radio on KSHJ 1430 AM. On the Guadalupe Radio Network throughout the Metro Houston area. From Hungary to the Holy See. That was a great conversation. Uh, the Habsburg Way, published by Sophia Institute Press. I am very impressed with the Sophia Institute Press. They just put out so many really good books. Uh, they publish... Edward Habsburg, and then speaking of great books they publish, they also publish anthologies of Fulton Sheen. So, I mean, what else could you could you want? Uh, joining us right now, the spokesman yeah. of the Archbishop uh, Fulton Sheen, Alan Smith, is joining us. Good morning to you, Alan. Uh, good morning, Adrian. It is great to be back on the network, and uh, thanks for hosting me during this holy season of Lent. It was great sharing uh, Archbishop Sheen's wisdom with your audience. And uh, again, uh, it's just nice to be back to talk about the faith. And uh, again, today we'll talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts. And it's, uh, I think we're going to talk about seminarians and the fostering of vocations. And, um, you know, I think you mentioned the Immaculata, the beautiful consecration of that church in Kansas. And I watched the footage and I saw I literally a hundred seminarians there. And so um, it seemed like a hundred seminarians. So I thought those will be our future priest uh, in the future, you know, in the future. And um, what am I doing to help those seminarians uh, to grow in the faith and, um, you know, be of service to me in the future. So, uh, you know, it's on my mind. And I was thinking it was Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, for many people, they celebrated that uh, celebration, I like to say, uh, where we pray for, you know, laborers to come into the harvest, good shepherds. Um, so, again, it's on my mind. And I thought I would speak my mind today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, the there was over 120 uh, priests, seminarians, and brothers at the uh, consecration of the church, and dozens of sisters, and about three thousand uh, lay faithful attending the the consecration ceremony. I thought it was beautiful to see uh, this massive church filled to the brim. It's overflowing. And, uh, oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, if anybody wants to check that out, y'all should definitely do that. Uh, just look up the Immaculata consecration. It was 
It was. It's a five-hour-long ceremony, though, so you might want to skip around a little bit, watch a little <laughs> bit of here, a little bit of there. But it's a five-hour-long consecration with the mass. Um, totally worth watching, though. I was uh, putting it on the background while I was doing other things yesterday. Uh, but yes, let's talk about vocations. Fulton Sheen used to give. Uh, did he? Was it yearly? I know he would give a regular uh, priestly retreat. I don't know how often he did it. Tell me about that, Alan. Yeah, he started giving priestly retreats when he was a Monsignor. Uh, you know, Fulton Sheen has a brilliant mind. Uh, you look at his history, uh, especially with education. Uh, again, always at the top of his class, uh, going through university, uh, went to Europe to study, uh, got a super doctorate from Louvain University. And uh, so, of course, a great teacher. Uh, but they found that he had this great gift uh, to give retreats and uh, especially priestly retreats. Uh, he understood uh, what was necessary for priests to survive in the world today. And so I see pictures of him giving retreats in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, you know, I, I travel across North America and so I visit seminaries and I see pictures of Fulton Sheen when he gave the priestly retreat for the diocese of wherever I'm visiting. So uh, he was giving priestly retreats even back in the early 30s and 40s. Um, and of course, continued priestly retreats right up to the uh, day he died. Uh, he was still active giving priestly retreats in the 70s. So uh, it, and the priesthood was near and dear to Fulton Sheen's heart. And for many of us, uh, again, Fulton Sheen uh, spent some time with uh, Father Andrew Apostoli. People know him from EWTN and the Franciscan Friars. He was the vice postulator for the Sheen cause. And his quote that uh, I'd like to share with everyone is that he'd say, uh, Fulton Sheen really believed that the key to the renovation of the church and the salvation of souls was to renew, renew the priesthood. That was the key. Renew the priesthood and you'll build the church and help save souls. So he was passionate about forming priests and had a great love for seminarians and uh, would almost say to them, read my books, read my books and you'll be okay. Amen. Amen. And I think there, there are two books that he wrote specifically about this topic. And there it's uh, the priests are not his own, which are really meant for priests. And then those mysterious priests, which were written for the laity, uh, both of those books are excellent, excellent reads. And in the books, I, I love that he focuses in on the sacrificial element of the priesthood because, you know, there's kind of an erroneous idea that comes up a lot of times in our modern understanding of the priest where we kind of call him the presider. Oh, the father is just the presider. He, he comes, he helps out, but really it's the faithful who do the work. But this is erroneous because the, the priest is the one who offers the sacrifice. That's the principal aspect. Tell me about that, Alan. Right. Uh, in the book, The Priest is Not His Own, and I'll hold it up for, um, again, our viewers on YouTube and other social media, but uh, The Priest is Not His Own, uh, Fulton Sheen begins with this thesis of, you know, saying to the reader, uh, the priest has a dual role. He's both priest and victim. And he says, you know, how often do seminarians say, I'm off in the seminary studying to be both priest and victim. And um, because you become like Christ and Christ has a victimhood side and it's so important. And I think 
most seminarians might say, well, I'm, I'm studying to be a good priest uh, and miss out on the victimhood part. But uh, if the priest can identify with the victimhood of Christ, it just helps him uh, so much more. And so he really uh, spends some time talking about that theme of being both priest and victim and really the responsibility that the priest has to prayer. Uh, to, uh, of course, fostering other vocations. Um, and again, Our Lady <laughs> reminds every priest, you need the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, you know, I give a lot of talk at men's conferences, and I recommend to men to read the book, The Priest Is Not His Own, because many of them are priestly. I'd like to say they're the priest of the domestic church, their uh, home church. And if they can be more priestly in the way they think of uh, the importance of prayer, uh, you know, honoring the mother, all of these things, um, the world would be a better place. So the priest is not his own. It's not just for seminarians. Uh, yeah, I think it's for all men, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I mean, that's clearly true. I mean, every, every single uh, man and woman is called to be a father or a mother. Uh, some are called to be spiritual fathers and mothers. Others are called to be biological fathers and mothers, which is not to say that biological fathers and mothers are not also spiritual fathers and mothers, but everybody, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Uh, but let's talk, uh, we mentioned Good Shepherd Sunday and about vocations and preaching vocations and understanding of the priesthood. Did Fulton Sheen ever talk explicitly about, hey, you need to join the priesthood and to like the faithful, to generally the faithful, like maybe going out on a, in a sermon or in a, in a radio talk where he calls people and says, answer the call, join the priesthood, sign up for religious life, do it today. Does he ever talk about those kind of things? Not, you know, I, I can't really uh, remember a talk that he gave on vocations. You know, you always hear the appeal uh, every year from the pulpit. Um, but I think what he would uh, encourage all young men is to journey with Christ, spend time with him. Uh, of course, he loved the holy hour and preaching the holy hour. And he would recommend it to young men discerning the priesthood. Um, he would say, you know, listen to the Lord, spend time in front of him, um, talk to him. Uh, bring the Bible with you, read his word, see if this uh, call that you feel in your heart is true. Um, so he was big on preaching the holy hour uh, to the faithful, and from that, vocations are fostered. Of course, he would encourage families to pray together. And uh, again, it is the place where vocations are born. Uh, he returned to Peoria every year in Thanksgiving to thank his family for fostering his vocation. And this is what he would remind parents, especially that, you know, you want priests for the church. Well, what are you doing to foster the priesthood within your own families? Are you willing to offer up your son or your daughter in the service of the church? And I think this is the resistance a lot of times. Parents are saying, I, I don't want my son to be a priest or uh, a sister. I, I want them to have children and grandchildren. Mm. Um, and so parents get a little selfish sometimes. But Fulton Sheen would say, no, be generous to God. Uh, those children are a gift from God. Give them back to God, uh, but especially in the service of the church. Amen, amen. And, you know, speaking of the service of the church, in the service of the church is always regarded as a marriage uh, they, they say the priest is married to the church and the sisters are married to Christ, uh, which ultimately means the same thing because uh, 
the, the, the church is the mystical body of Christ. And it reminds me of what Sheen said about celibacy, which is a great scandal to our modern ears. He says celibacy is hardest when we fall out of love with Christ. Then it becomes a great burden. Once we priests put celibacy in the context of the church and discuss its history, its sociology, and the like, there is a groaning under the burden. Once we see it in relation to Christ, then it is less a problem and more a matter of love. Celibacy as an ecclesiastical law is hard. Celibacy as a question of discipleship is hard too, but bearable and joyful. I think that's a beautiful thing to think about as celibacy as a as an act of love, not a a burden to carry. Yes, and I think uh, you know Fulton Sheen would remind us of what are our loves. Um, he would challenge us, uh, and he would always ask us to choose the higher loves. This is the thing. A lot of times we're guilty of choosing all these lower loves, uh, but yet do we aspire to the higher love? And one thing I've found in my journey with seminarians, and I try to reach out to as many of them as I can, is that it's important that we gift them Sheen's, uh, I want to say, his manuals on the Blessed Virgin Mary and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the two books I gift to every seminarian that I can meet is Life of Christ. Of course, many mm -hmm. people have... Uh, know of this book. It's a book that Fulton Sheen penned in 1958, uh, a great Lexio Divina on the life of Christ. And you actually get to know who Christ is when you read Fulton Sheen's Life of Christ and the world's first love, uh, Sheen's writings on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so um, every seminarian knows needs to know who Jesus is, and who our Blessed Mother is. Um, and that's a great foundation because it is about uh, falling in love with Christ, becoming another Christ. And so uh, these are all things, and these are things that we can do as lay faithful, is to shoulder up to our seminarians and say, can I give you some good spiritual reading? I, I know they've got lots of reading to do in the seminary, but I find that Fulton Sheen's writings are always spot on. Uh, they don't waver. Uh, they don't bring anybody down the wrong path. And they're all church approved. They've all been uh, looked at. They have Nihil Obstats, Imprimaturs. Uh, again, they're good, solid books. And so uh, I, that's what I do is I meet a seminary and I say, can I give you some Fulton Sheen books on uh, you know, life's lessons? Uh, and again, it's a great investment. It really is. Uh, and the seminarians appreciate that someone took the time to uh, give them a gift and to think about them. And um, so sometimes the seminarians are forgotten souls. Uh, they really are. And I know, um, Adrian, that you have some experience, I think, with friends and uh, your journey. So um, again, let us never forget our seminarians. Very true. Very true. I mean, the joke was in the novitiate that, uh, oh yeah, novices, you're not, you're not really people. <laughs> they would, uh, the, the, uh, the senior community would tell us, yeah, you become a person when you take vows. As a novice, you're not even a person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Of course, of course, it's a purely in good fun. But the, uh, I love what you said. The two things we need to know, or better said, the two people we need to know is our Lord and our Lady. Uh, but that's going to be do it for the time we have with you, Alan. Feel free to hop on for the after show. We'd love to keep chatting. Uh, but that's going to do it. Go to Bishop Sheen today. Bishop Sheen today. Check it out. 
You can find all the information about Alan and his work there, Bishop Sheen, today. And then we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. You can hop on with us, 877-757-9424-877-757-9424-877-757-9424. We always take the first caller, so call now and you could be the contestant. We'll be right back. your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 757-9424. We love to hear it. And this is the Fear and Trembling Game Show where we give out prizes and you could win. You may be asking, what's going on? What am I listening to? What did I just tune into? Well, you're listening to the Fear and Trembling Game Show where we give out prizes. It's three Catholic trivia questions. And don't you worry, we're not going to ask you the questions. In fact, this is a very easy game to win because I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask Tito the questions, and it's going to be your job to answer and say whether or not Tito is right or whether or not he is wrong. That means there is a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer correct, even if you don't know anything about the questions or the answers. So what you have to do to win is call in 877 757 9424 877 
757-9424. We always take our first callers. And so what? how do you win? So for every right answer, you get a ticket into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? They could win the fear and trembling prize for this week is Carlo Brossard's new book, The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. Noelle Merring, the author of Awake, Not Woke, says Carlo Broussard does the important and foundational work of refuting wokeism without polemics or ridicule, but with the simple conviction that we are made for truth. In a time of much coercion and confusion, the new relativism is a clarifying and compelling read, all by Catholic Answers. There you go. Thank you very much to Catholic Answers and uh, Carlo Broussard. Uh, that number, 877-757-9424, is your ticket to play the game, 877-757-9424. We take the first caller. I'm looking over, and it looks like there is a perfect opportunity to join because if you call now, you will be the contestant because we have open phone lines. So the next caller will be our contestant, 877 757 Nine four two four, and I'm looking over the questions, and it looks like all all easy question Thursday. All easy question Thursday it appears to be. Uh, so I'm guaranteed that you're gonna get at the very least one of these answers correct. Very excited to see how you do. Uh, so make sure you call in, and if you do not get on today then we will be able to get you on in the future. Uh, but uh, joining us is Stephen. Good morning to you, Stephen. Catholic, would you let me join? Good morning, Stephen. Sorry, you're, uh, I couldn't hear you for a second there. Say again. I say I'm not Catholic, would you let me play? Of course, of course we let you play. Praise be to God. Uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, what what religion are you, may I ask? Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm, I just, I don't, I'm, uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what, Bible, Bible kind of guy, so. All right, all right. Well, the uh, then at least at least uh, two of these questions are right up your alley then. <laughs> okay. Um, then, right. uh, and, and uh, so, okay, let's start here. Let's start here. Where are you calling from? Uh, the DFW area, Dallas. Ah, praise be to God, the DFW area. We love the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I love their cathedral there. It's absolutely Beautiful. You've never been. You should go visit. They have the the March for Life is hosted uh, there at the cathedral. Oh, yeah. There, I try to go out there yeah, every great. year. Oh, that's great. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's an awesome thing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, thank you for calling in, and I think I think you're going to do well with these questions. At least two of these. Well, all really, right. actually, okay. actually, all three of these are scripture related. Right. So we'll see. Well, you set me up. You set me up for a fall here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how you do. I, I we'll saying a prayer for you right now, everyone. Everyone listening, saying a prayer for you right now that all you right. succeed. So don't you worry. It's going to be great. Uh, are you ready to play the game? I'll do my best, yeah. Well, then let's do it. And don't you worry, because the questions are going to be asked to Tito, not to you. And you just have to guess whether or not he's right or wrong. So let's start. All right. Uh, Tito, first question. Yes. Now, we said uh, every single one of these questions today are, in fact, Scripture-related. Good. So the question number one is, in what year... Were the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered? And what year was were the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered? Dead Sea Scrolls discovered 
That's a tough one. I'm not good with dates, but uh, I'll say 2001. That sounds like a significant year. <laughs> 2001. Yeah. yeah, that I think I've read something about something significant happening in 2001. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm so, pretty certain. So to the, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna go with 2001 then. All righty, Stephen from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, we have a good Bible question here for you. In what year were the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered? 15 seconds on the clock. Tito says it was 2001. What say you, Stephen, from Dallas-Fort Worth area? Is he right or is he wrong? He is incorrect. He is incorrect. I don't know the answer, but it's like it's like 1940 or something like that. Right? Wow, that's really good. It's Steven? 1947. 1947 yeah. is the correct answer. You were uh, right around the uh, the correct answer, but you know it's interesting. There's actually a a library here in Houston that has a piece of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a private library. And I got to see that a couple couple well, was, about a year ago. It was a it was a, it was a Catholic uh, priest determined that stuff that they found in, in, the, in the, the Qumran caves was, in fact, I think, a portion of John. That's awesome. There you go. There you go. And, in fact, I, I had the privilege of going over there to where that was a few years oh. ago. I visited the Holy Land, but it was very, very awesome. Uh, but you're doing great so far. You're one for one. So let's uh, let's jump into question number two. Are you ready for question number two? Yes. All right. We said uh, nothing but Bible questions today, right, Tito? Yes, we then, do. Then let's jump into question number two. Let's do this. All righty. Question number two, Tito. Name six of the 12 fruits of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my goodness. Just six of them. You don't need to name all 12. Uh, name six of them. I think it's from Matthew 3, verse the Beatitudes. Okay. Um, charity... Uh, Modesty, chastity, joy, peace, and mildness. Okay, I'll go with those. Okay, Ooh. that's a uh, that's that's rough. That's rough. Okay, that is rough. Uh, repeat that one more time. One more time for me. Charity, modesty, joy, patience, chastity, and. And mildness? Six. Okay. Yeah, that's six. Okay, yeah. that's six. That's six. Whew. All right, I hope you were paying attention, Stephen, and I hope you've read Galatians uh, 5 recently. Uh, so let's jump into this, the Stephen. The question on the board is, name six of the 12 fruits of the Holy Ghost. I guess that's not really a question. It's more of like a command. Uh, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, the question is, name six of the 12 fruits of the Holy Ghost. 15 seconds on the clock. Tito says it's charity, joy, patience, mildness, modesty, and chastity. That's six. I hope you read Galatians 5 recently, Stephen. Is he right or is he wrong? Is he trying to deceive you? Hello? What say you? I think he's incorrect. I think he got three of them, but I don't think he got six of them. Oh, are you sure you want to go with uh, with incorrect, Stephen? Uh, you know, I don't think modesty is in there, and I don't. I mean, Jackson's a great thing. Don't get me wrong, Jackson's great, but I don't believe that's in there either. Love okay, Steve, we're gonna so go with. He's gonna go with wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, oh. it is in fact. Uh, the that is the six of the twelve. The twelve are are charity, joy, peace, goodness, patience, 
benignity, longanimity, mildness, faith, modesty, countenance, right. and chastity. So that's the 12, and uh, many people okay. are going to be like, well, that was way too fast, did not catch that. Uh, yeah. the, the problem might be translation, well, though. That might be the it problem. Might, it, might be, the, it might be, it, it might be, yeah. That's my guess. My I'm guess in. is that it was a. I'll take the hit. We'll we'll take we'll take it as a translation issue. Oof. We'll take it as a translation issue. Uh, but don't worry, Stephen. You're still one for two. Yeah. I guarantee you that this third question. I think you're going to get it right. It's it's a really you're going to nail this one. You're going to nail this one. All right, let's get into it. Question numero trace, Tito. Oh, I'm I'm ready. I, I I misfired on that. Matthew 3, but it was Galatians. I yeah. don't know what I was thinking. Well, don't you worry, uh, Tito, but you do know what, what trace means, right? What language that is? Swahilian? Uh, no, oh. it, it's it's actually a German. Oh. Yeah. German. Yeah, it's German for three. Duh. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows that. Oh, yes, uh, right. All right. The question is, what do we call the reader of the scriptural passages at Mass? Oh, fish in a barrel. The lector. Oh, okay. You're saying a lector. Yes. A lector is the reader. Yes, the reader, Han not okay. Hannibal Lecter. Not Hannibal. Okay, that's no, good. That's that, good. We yeah. don't we don't let Hannibal Lecter read. No, we don't. Okay, that's not good to know. All. That's good to know. All right. All righty, Stephen. The question on the board is: What do we call the reader of the scriptural passages at mass? Fifteen seconds on the clock. Tito says it's a lector. Uh, what say you, Stephen? Is he right? Is he wrong? What say you? You know, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to go with he's right, but I, I really don't know the answer to that question. There you go. Praise to God. Good Stephen. job, Stephen. Nailed it. Nailed it. The answer is, in All fact, right. lector. Uh, the word lector literally comes from the Latin, which means to read. So he who reads. Yeah. And so uh, right. we that's what we call the person who reads is a uh, well, lector. So very good. You did great. You got two for three. That is uh, great odds, I'm saying. So don't you worry. You did wonderful. And all three of them were scripture questions, and you got two out of three. So I'm, uh, I think I'm very impressed. All right, righty, Stephen. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for being on with us. Don't go anywhere. We're going to put you on hold. Yeah. We want to get your contact information so that way we can uh, send you the prize should we draw your name out tomorrow because tomorrow is, in fact, the day when we draw out the prizes. So, but God love you and have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And so we're going to put you on hold. That's going to do it for our first hour. Stay with us for the after show. You can hop onto YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and stay with us where we answer any of your questions, comments, or concerns, soapboxes, negativities, positivities, or anything in between. We'd love to chat with you. If not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. Remember, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. We are celebrating Thursday of the fourth week of Easter. 
This morning's Mass is being offered for the intentions of our online viewers and those joining us via Guadalupe Radio Media. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The strife is o'er, the battle done. The victory of life is won. The song of triumph hath begun. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Let us pray. O God, who restore human nature to yet greater dignity than at its beginnings, look upon the amazing mystery of your loving kindness, and in those you have chosen to make new through the wonder of rebirth, may you preserve the gifts of your enduring grace and blessing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Reading from the Acts of the Apostles. From Paphos, Paul and his companions set sail and arrived at Perga and Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. They continued on from Perga and reached Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they entered into the synagogue and took their seats. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them, My brothers, if one of you has a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So Paul got up, motioned with his hand, and said, Fellow children of Israel, and you others who are God-fearing, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors and exalted the people during their sojourn in the land of Egypt. With uplifted arm he led them out, and for about forty years he put up with them in the desert. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. 
at the end of about 450 years. After these things, he provided judges up, up to Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Then he removed him and raised up David as their king. Of him he testified, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my every wish. From this man's descendants, God, according to his promise, has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. John heralded his coming by proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his course, he would say, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me. I am not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. The word of the Lord. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said, My kindness is established forever. In heaven you have confirmed your faithfulness. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, that my hand may be always with him, and that my arm may make him strong. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. My faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and through my name shall be, through my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall say of me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Jesus Christ, you are the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. You have loved us and freed us from our sins by your blood. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, he said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, no slave is greater than his master, nor any messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand this, blessed are you if you do it. I am not speaking of all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. But so that the scripture might be fulfilled, the one who ate my food has raised his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe that I am. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. And throughout the Easter season in a very particular way, and in today's gospel again, in particular at the end when Jesus says, whoever receives me, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. 
we really see highlighted this dynamic of sending and receiving. In order to be sent to go out and proclaim God's word, to proclaim Jesus Christ and to proclaim his love, we ourselves have to receive first. We don't exist in a vacuum. We don't have the possibility to nourish ourselves spiritually. We have to be able to receive in order to give. It's very much like the dynamic of love in our lives. We want to love, but we also seek to be loved. And both of those elements need to be present. In order to give love, we have to be able to receive love. So in order to be sent, we have to receive. If we were to ask ourselves, where are the best sources for us to receive Jesus and to receive the strength to go out and proclaim him? Well, some very obvious answers come to mind. The first one, of course, is the Blessed Sacrament and the Eucharist. In receiving Jesus Christ, we receive the nourishment and we receive God's grace to be able to go out and share Jesus with others. In receiving and listening to God's word, we receive into our mind a kind of intellectual food which then prepares us to go out and speak well, to be able to proclaim. This process is a continual one. We have to be replenished by the source of love in order to love. We have to be replenished at the source of peace in order to experience peace in our lives. In receiving Jesus, we then can go out and be sent to gift Jesus to other people. Another aspect that Jesus highlights in today's gospel is that we are also called to receive one another and those who have been sent to us by God. This indeed is a very important and blessed part of the spiritual life, which is to say, do I see the other people in my life as being sent by God to me so that I receive them to love them, but also so that I receive the message they have for me, which may be coming from God. And that sometimes, and maybe we could say even in particular cases where you have challenging personality, sometimes that happens, believe it or not, in community life. And what it means is we're always called to remember the one who is there, objectively speaking, may they be kind of annoying, could they be frustrating to deal with, could they talk too much and listen too little. Yeah, there's people out there like that, right? But is our view to look at them and say, boy, this person is aggravating and annoying and I can't wait to get out of their presence? Or is our view to say, this person has been sent to me by Jesus so that I can grow in patience, so that I can grow in love, so that I can express Jesus's love back to them? It's an entirely different view when we change our mindset and we see everything in our life as being gifted by God to us as something for us to receive in order to learn a lesson that our Heavenly Father is teaching us so that we can then go out and share Jesus' love. It isn't to say that it's easy, but it is to say if we're being nourished by the bread of life, if we are being nourished by the good things of God, then surely God gives us the grace and the capacity to be able to view our lives this way, and he gives us the strength to be able to love the way Jesus has loved. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, 
Let us find in our nourishment here at God's sacred banquet the strength and the source of peace and love to live this day well. And let us ask God for the grace that we would see all those brought to us in our life this day as being sent by God and as being an opportunity for us to express God's love back to them. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired to enact just laws that promote and safeguard the dignity of human life from the first moment of conception until natural death and laws which never transgress the natural law. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, and benefactors, for all those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. We pray for an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Alleluia, sing to Jesus, he is the scepter, he is the throne. Alleluia. Is the triumph is the victory alone. Hark the songs of peaceful Zion thunder like a mighty flood. Jesus out of every nation has redeemed us by his blood. Alleluia, King eternal, Thee, the Lord of lords, we own. Alleluia, born of Mary, Earth, thy footstool, heaven, thy throne. Thou within the veil hast entered, robed in flesh, our great high priest. Thou on earth, both priest and victim, in the Eucharistic feast. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May our prayers rise up to you, O Lord, together with the sacrificial offerings, so that, purified by your graciousness,
we may be conformed to the mysteries of your mighty love through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, at all times to acclaim you, O Lord. But in this time above all, to laud you yet more gloriously, when Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Through him the children of light rise to eternal life, and the halls of the heavenly kingdom are thrown open to the faithful. For his death is our ransom from death, and in his rising the life of all has risen. Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exalts in your praise. And even the heavenly powers with the angelic hosts sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you've held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. 
Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your Church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Receptis salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, Sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress. As we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
For those who are unable to receive Holy Communion, we invite you to make an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the Most Holy Sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot receive you at this moment sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O Lord, I am not worthy that Thou shouldst come to me, but speak the word of comfort. Spirit healed shall be, and humbly I'll receive Thee, the bridegroom of my soul. No more by sin to grieve thee, or fly thy sweet control. Eternal Holy Spirit, unworthy though I be, Prepare me to receive him, and trust the word to me. Increase my faith, dear Jesus, in thy real presence here, and make me feel most deeply that thou to me art near. My hope in thee now strengthen, O Savior of my soul. Lest by temptation blinded I turn from my true goal. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who restore us to eternal life in the resurrection of Christ, increase in us, we pray, the fruits of this Paschal Sacrament, and pour into our hearts the strength of this saving food through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high. Alleluia. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Alleluia. Lives again our glorious King. Alleluia. Where, O death, is now thy sting. Alleluia. 
The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hello, this is Father Charles Van Fleet, pastor of Regina Chaley Parish in 